0: is Jean Lundquist and I am an LCSW and Implementation Specialist with the DMH UCLA Public Mental Health Partnership. I have a love for all things mindfulness and self-compassion related uh, things, but I first wanted to take a moment to acknowledge what's going on in our community right now. Um, It is an unprecedented year, as I know you all know, and I wanted to acknowledge and not gloss over what is going on in our city right now as a result of long, long time of systemic uh, racism and injustice. Our team was hesitant, to keep going with our trainings for the week because we did not want to detract uh, from what was going on. And we wanted to honor what our city is going through and the process of justice that a lot are striving for. And we want to show support for that. Personally, as a privileged white woman, I don't feel that I'm capable of speaking on it clearly. Um, I can't begin to imagine the depth of understanding for these complex reactions to trauma that we are seeing in our city. But what I can do is try to take this time and space with you, to encourage a practice of self-compassion and note that you are all agents of change and have been with working against this system that is so complex and succeeding with our clients for so many years. And I hope that this training will help you to continue to do your work to the best of your capabilities Even in these trying times because you must take care of yourself to keep going and to stay strong and healthy. Even in this wild year that is 2020 And hopefully our time together may ground you or bring light to what you need to keep going. Um, So I just wanted to acknowledge all that and to thank you all for being here. And um, I'd like to start our training with a brief meditation to ground ourselves. If you'd be willing to participate, we're all going to close our eyes and get started. So find a relaxed, comfortable position. Seated on a chair, on the floor, on a cushion keeping your back upright, but not too tight. Your hands resting wherever they're comfortable. And you can notice your body from the inside. Noticing the shape of your body, the weight, touch, and let yourself relax, becoming curious, seated here, noticing the sensations of the body, the connection with the floor or the chair, Try to relax any areas of tightness or tension, just breathing, softening. And now begin to tune into your breath in your body. Feeling the natural flow You don't need to do anything to your breath. Not long, not short, just natural. And notice where you feel your breath in your body. Might be in your abdomen, it may be in your chest. Or your throat. See if you can feel the sensations of breath, one breath at a time. When one breath ends, the next begins. Now, as you do this, you might notice that your mind may start to wander. You may start thinking about other things. This happens. This is not a problem. It's very natural. Just notice that your mind has wandered. You can say thinking or wandering in your head softly. And then gently redirect your attention right back to your breathing. Now invite into your mind a new thought or belief in the form of an intention for what you would like to gather from our time together today. Perhaps it is to put yourself first a little more each day. Perhaps it is to be kinder to yourself, to connect with others, to be more mindful. Take a moment to settle into your intention. Now bring your new intention to the forefront of your mind. Imagine planting it like a seed in soil, trusting that roots will grow in time. And then spend these last few moments returning to your breath. Following your breath in and out, back into your body, settling in. Back into this present moment in time. And when you feel ready, slowly open your eyes. Give yourself a good stretch. Maybe wiggle your toes and come back to the present. Thank you all so much for participating in that. I hope we all feel a little more grounded. I want to briefly go over some learning objectives for today. We're going to develop an understanding of self-compassion and its core components. We're also going to dive into the evidence-based practice and research behind self-compassion And as you've already experienced, we're going to engage in some active practices to further our own sense of self-compassion. And I know that many of us are already familiar with self-compassion, but I think this is a clear and concise definition to refresh some of our memories or introduce it to others. It's about being open and moved by one's own suffering, experiencing feelings of kindness and caring towards oneself, and taking an understanding, non judgmental attitude toward our inadequacies, our failures, and recognizing that our experience is part of the common human experience. All right. I want to make sure we talk about what self-compassion is not. I think Garfield is a great example of someone that we may find very endearing, but at his core is pretty self-centered. That being concerned solely or chiefly with his own interests. Whereas self-compassion fosters social connectedness and compassion for others. And we don't have to be Garfield to have these traits. We all have moments of self pity where we are totally engrossed in our own suffering, sometimes to the point where we wallow and get stuck. Self compassion helps us relate our own suffering to others and holds pain in mindful awareness so that we can acknowledge that others have experienced what we are experiencing that we can get through this and not linger in what can become a stagnant state of self-pity. And finally, self-complacency, where we become indifferent, maybe resigned to things we once thought we could change. In its opposite, self-compassion encourages growth. To be compassionate towards yourself means you want more for yourself. You want a healthier self. That is what attracts many of us to this concept. It represents an opportunity for growth. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live and his positive affirmations. Uh, They are very entertaining if you need uh, something to lighten your day, but he is just a good way to lightly talk about the difference between self-esteem and self-compassion. Many have confused self-compassion with self-esteem, but unlike self-esteem, self-compassion is not correlated with narcissism, higher defensiveness, and increased aggression in the face of ego threat. There was a study of college students who had self-reported high self-esteem that were told they did worse on an intelligence test, and the majority lashed out and insulted other study participants. Whereas those with low self-esteem reacted by being nicer and complimentary towards other participants. That isn't to say that it's always like that, I just thought that was an interesting study. There's not always something wrong with having high self-esteem or good self-esteem. It's more so that high self-esteem that is healthy is usually the consequence rather than the cause of healthy behaviors. That's the key difference. Self-esteem is an evaluation of our worthiness, and that's usually from a judgment, a judgment of ourselves or a judgment from others that we take personally. Self-compassion is not a judgment or evaluation. It's a way of relating to ourselves, honoring our strengths and weaknesses that all is ever changing and impermanent. Successes and failures will come and they will go. Neither define us or determine our worthiness. It's part of being alive. The true value of ourselves lies in the core experience of being a conscious being who feels and perceives and embracing all that we are and all that we can be. I also wanna make sure we go over the difference between self-compassion and compassion. According to the Dalai Lama, compassion is the wish that all sentient beings may be free from suffering. Compassion can be defined and demonstrated in a variety of ways. We may be moved by another's suffering and want to help. That is compassion put to action. In Buddhist psychology, the belief is that compassion for the self is just as essential as compassion for others. Because for someone to develop genuine compassion towards others, we must first have a basis on which to cultivate compassion. And that basis is the ability to connect one's own feeling and care for one's own welfare. Caring for others requires caring for oneself. And I think that's especially important for those in our field working in direct practice or in any helping field to remember the foundation of our ability to help others is based on our ability to help ourselves. I do want to highlight the research behind self-compassion as it reinforces its use not only in our own personal practice, but with our clients or with anyone in our life that may be suffering. These boxes all represent positive correlations with self-compassion, meaning that wisdom, emotional intelligence, social connection, optimism, life satisfaction, and initiative can all increase through our practice of self-compassion. In that same vein, self-compassion is negatively correlated with self-criticism, thought suppression, perfectionism, anxiety, and rumination. Most importantly, self-compassion is a way to engage in our own emotional regulation, And we'll go into that further on in the presentation. I want to note some interesting findings from the literature that may or may not appear obvious to you. Uh, One being that self-compassion increases with age. Despite the physical and social challenges that can often accompany aging, older individuals score higher on subjective well-being, which self-compassion is strongly associated with. Self-compassion may therefore represent a resource that individuals develop in response to life experiences over time. So if you're young, there's still hope. (laughs) Um, And sadly, self-compassion may be easier for men than for women. In a majority of studies, females self-report being more uncompassionate and males self-report being more compassionate towards themselves. This may reflect differences in how men and women perceive their social environment. Um, In Western societies, a lot of women were raised to prioritize the needs of others over our own. And sometimes even that our physical attractiveness can determine our social value. And both of those things don't usually contribute to self-compassion. Nonetheless, We can all develop self-compassion regardless of gender, of age. We can increase a little each day in our lives. So these are the core dimensions of self-compassion, that being self-kindness, mindfulness, and common humanity. All of these working together, actively encouraging the expression of warmth, concern, and caring towards the self. I wanted to bring up these kind of differences between the two, Uh, self-kindness, which is treating yourself with kindness versus harsh criticism or judgment, Uh, common humanity, acknowledging that suffering is a common human experience versus isolation and disconnection and mindfulness, which is accepting suffering and holding it in balanced awareness versus over-identification with suffering. And I know that these are often easier said than done, but we'll go into it further, and I do think there are some good things that you can bring into your own practice that may be helpful. Okay, so self-kindness is really all about treating yourself as you would treat a friend Kristen Neff, if you're not familiar with her, she has the Self-Compassion book. There's also a Self-Compassion workbook. Both are excellent resources full of exercises and literature to um, work through on your own time if you're interested as well. It's really about how you would treat yourself in the moment when you're going through something. Imagine that your friend calls you and is asking for support Even if they messed up, we're not going to just scold them. We're going to offer support. We're going to be there for them. We're not going to right off the bat, tell them what they should have done differently or berate them. And self-kindness isn't deciding if what we did was right or wrong or trying to convince ourselves that it's not that bad. Practicing self-kindness is simply acknowledging that we are in pain and offering comfort for that pain. Common humanity. At times we take our own suffering as a sign that something is wrong with us or that we are different from other people. And the principle of common humanity is that we suffer because we are human and that suffering others have undergone as well And when we are practicing the principle of common humanity, we see that our pain, inadequacies, and failures are part of the human experience, not a sign that there is something wrong with us or that we are alone. We know that there is no emotion that we experience that has not been experienced by many others. The goal of this is that we begin to see the suffering of others around us as part of their human experience and not disconnect from them, label them, or judge them. And practicing this helps us to be less judgmental, especially in our practice of other people's experiences, which is critical for our work. I do want to note on common humanity, especially in light of what's happened with George Floyd, it's not meant to diminish those traumas or experiences. There is suffering that is unparalleled, yet this suffering does still connect us and has called for many to act on the desire for justice. But it's important to note that I may never comprehend the depth of those traumas and that my common humanity acknowledges the discrepancies in our experiences. To many, common humanity may appear as trying to lessen what one has gone through, but it's meant as a reminder that there are those before us, those now with us, and those long after us that will understand and experiencing suffering, that we are never truly alone. The final core concept is mindfulness. When we are mindful, we observe our thoughts and experience our feelings without judgment or applying meaning. We hold our painful feelings as part of our experience. We do not cling to them. We don't run away either. We see things for what they are. And in some ways we can give ourselves a reality check. Many of us engage in behaviors that temporarily numb the feelings we are having. Perhaps when you're anxious, you grab your phone and zone out for an hour. Or when you're sad, you run to those cookies to try to feel better. If instead of those actions, we practice mindfulness, we would hold that anxiety or sadness and acknowledge it. We would feel it and not attach meaning or judgment to it. We wouldn't hide from it, and we wouldn't over-identify with it either. Mindfulness is a non-judgmental state where we simply observe what is going on inside of us. And this image is from this mindfulness, self-compassion workbook, which is very lovely and fun. If any of you are interested in your downtime, they have this concept of the yin and yang of self-compassion. Um, and the yin is the attributes of being with ourselves, that being comforting, soothing, or validating. Validating, And the yang is the principles of acting in the world, protecting providing, or motivating. And I wanted to highlight this because it may be useful to just focus on one component of these six to start your practice or to begin your journey of self-compassion if you're overwhelmed of like, how do I really become mindful in an instant? It's, it's easier said than done, right? So I wanted to go over each of these concepts in a little more detail and then ask you guys which practice really speaks to you. So comforting ourselves, it's learning to support yourself when you're upset or emotional in kinder ways. Soothing ourselves is about creating a sense of physical calm, it's trying to feel more relaxed in your body, and also validating, do you feel alone or misunderstood or that you're not being validated by those in your environment. It's about trying to support your own truth about yourself. Maybe you can validate the stress of this time and accept that it's okay, that you're overwhelmed, that you can't get all your work done today. That may be a way into your practice of self-compassion. Or some of us aren't ready to you know, really be with ourselves in those ways, that's okay. We can focus on our actions in the world. And protecting is the first step towards self-compassion because we need to feel safe from harm. We can't focus on providing compassion for ourselves if we're too busy ensuring our own safety. So protecting may mean saying no to others who are hurting us emotionally. Or it might even be protecting us from the harm we often inflict on ourselves and trying to soften how we speak to ourselves when we're out in the world. And then providing, giving ourselves what we really need, which can be easier said than done because we have to know what we need and then we have to have the conviction that we deserve to get our needs met and then try to meet our needs. But what's exciting about this is that no one can do this for us as well as we can do it for ourselves. So would you like to learn to provide for your own needs more effectively? And finally, motivating. Most of us have dreams and aspirations that we would like to realize in this lifetime or smaller short-term goals. Self-compassion can motivate us like a good coach with kindness and support and understanding, not harsh criticism. Perhaps it'd be good to focus on motivating yourself with love instead of fear. So I really want you to think about what do you need right now in this Day-to-day, what's one of these six practices that you think you'd like to focus on for your journey of self-compassion? But there's often a fear of self-compassion that can contribute to an overall lack of self-compassion in ourselves. Um, Movement towards self-compassion can be met with doubt, um, resistance. There's a fear that if we are too kind to ourselves, that we won't have the drive to make changes or to reach our goals. And this fear can come from a variety of things where we don't feel it's deserved or that we're weak to accept such kindness as we're not pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, quote unquote. But when we engage in self-compassion, we're acknowledging what we're going through. We're taking the time to work through with kindness and not against with shame or fear. I won't go into attachment styles very much, but I encourage you to look these up on your own time and to get to know your own attachment style as it can be helpful in navigating your relationships with others. Attachment theory explains how the parent-child relationship emerges and influences subsequent development in our childhood. In the late 1980s, Cindy Hazen and Philip Shaver extended attachment theory to include adult romantic relationships, which is what we're going to focus on today. They identified four different styles of romantic attachment in adults, secure, fearful avoidant, anxious preoccupied, and dismissive avoidant. Other research has categorized it into just three categories, secure, avoidant, and anxious. And Some of our fears for self-compassion can come from our attachment styles. Research has found that those raised in safe and supportive environments are more likely to be higher in self-compassion and have greater capacity to activate and maintain feelings of safety and warmth linked to the self-soothing system. Conversely, individuals who receive inadequate care in early development or are raised in stressful or threatening environments may be colder, more critical, or have an underdevelopment of self-soothing and a hyper-aroused threat system, which may further activate defensive emotions that lead to anxiety or depression and lower levels of self-compassion overall. So, sorry, I lost my place for one moment, but attachment literature also talks about the other types of attachments outside of secure and how that relates to self-compassion, which I think is really interesting. Uh, Anxiously attached individuals can be overly concerned with being compassionate and helpful in order to be liked and thus can act submissively in relationships putting their self-compassion aside for others, and avoidant individuals, either fearful or dismissive, may view support seeking as a weakness and may perceive others in distress with contempt. Avoidant individuals are uncomfortable with distress emotions and often distance themselves from others in distress. Some individuals can also become personally distressed when they see others in distress and become even more avoidant as a result. All of these avoidant behaviors or anxious behaviors can influence our ability to engage in self-compassion as we are acknowledging distressing emotions and trying to further our connectedness to others through our practice. Regardless, it is still possible to develop self-compassion. I just wanted to note that it may be more difficult for some and easier for others based on our attachment style. Regardless of attachment style, we all have critical self-talk. We have a negativity bias. Rick Hansen says our brain is like Velcro for bad experiences and Teflon for good ones. If we think about our ancestors that fretted and worried at the end of the day where that pack of wolves would be tomorrow, those were the ones that survived. The ones that kicked back and relaxed probably did not And the point here is that we are evolutionarily adaptive to physical danger. But since the dangers we now threat most of the time are threats to our sense of self, it's not so applicable. Nonetheless, this hyper arousal to potential threats to the ego can also influence our negativity bias. We aren't naturally on the outlook for positivity. We have to intentionally recognize and absorb positive emotions to develop more realistic, balanced awareness that is not skewed towards the negative. And all of this is possible because of neuroplasticity, where the brain can be deeply transformed through experience. In more scientific terms, we can affect our neural pathways, The brain engages in synaptic pruning, deleting neural connections that no longer are necessary or useful, and strengthening the necessary ones. Many studies have found that this can be accomplished with mindfulness, which as we know, is a core component of self-compassion. Now that we have acknowledged our critical self-talk, let's talk about how small changes can be made. We first have to think about how we often can use self-criticism as a motivator. Why do we criticize ourselves for procrastinating on an important task at work? It's often so that we avoid failing, or worse, losing our job. Our inner critic, on some level, is trying to ward off dangers that may cause harm. Now I want you to think about a personal trait that you criticize yourself for because you think being hard on yourself will help you change. Take a moment, hold that trait in your mind. Now think of a kinder, more caring way to motivate yourself to make a change if it's needed. What language would a wise and nurturing friend parent, teacher, or mentor used to gently point out how your behavior is unproductive while simultaneously encouraging you to do something different. What is the most supportive message you can think of that's in line with your underlying wish, which is usually just to be healthy and happy? Judgment will still come up when you're trying to think about these things. But when they do, we wanna notice the pain of your judgment and give yourself compassion. We're trying to reframe the inner dialogue so that it's more encouraging and supportive. And that's what some of these questions on these slides are trying to evoke, to try to shift that inner dialogue slowly but surely to be mindful of what you're observing, what you're feeling, what you're re- what you're needing right now and responding rather than reacting. Remembering that if you want to motivate yourself, love is much more powerful than fear. Okay. So we are going to engage in another meditation where we're going to work through some critical self-talk so let's all find a comfortable position sitting down and closing our eyes and taking a few deep relaxing breaths you can even give a little sigh if you would like now place your hand over your heart or another soothing place, reminding yourself that you are in the room, perhaps allowing kindness to flow through your hand into your body. Now bring to mind an event that made you feel embarrassed, or somewhat ashamed, something that generated critical self talk in your life. You may have overreacted to something, you may have said something you wish you hadn't, or you may have made a mistake at work that had greater consequences than you thought. Choose an event that is unsettling enough where you feel uneasy, but no more than a three on a scale of one to 10. Feel your way into this event. Remembering the event in some detail. This takes courage. Use all your senses to clearly visualize the situation. Scan your body for where you feel it most easily. In your mind's eye, sweep your body from head to toe, stopping where you can sense a little tension or discomfort. Now choose a single location in your body where shame or embarrassment expresses itself most strongly, perhaps as a point of muscle tension, hollowness or heartache. Is it a pain in your back, a knot in your stomach, heaviness in your heart? In your mind, gently incline towards that location in your body. Soften into the area. Let the muscles soften, letting them relax as if in warm water. Remember that we're not trying to change the feeling. We're holding it in a tender way. softening. If you wish, try to just soften a little around the edges. Now soothe yourself because of this difficult situation. If you wish, Place your hand over the part of your body that holds that embarrassment or shame. And just feel the warmth, gentle touch of your hand. Acknowledging how hard that part of the body has been working to hold this emotion. If you like, imagine warmth and kindness flowing through your hand into your body. Are there some comforting words that you might need to hear? If so, Imagine you had a friend who was struggling in the same way. What would you say to your friend? Perhaps it's, I care deeply about you. I'm so sorry you feel this way. I will be here for you always. What would you want to remember? Try to offer yourself those same messages that speak to you. Remembering to be kind to yourself in these moments. Remembering that when we feel embarrassed or ashamed, it's only one part of us that feels that way. We don't always have to feel like this. Finally allow the discomfort to be there. Letting your body have whatever sensations it's having and your heart to feel as it does. Make room for everything and release the need to make anything go away. Breathe deeply in through your nose and out through your mouth. Acknowledging the healing nature of softening, soothing and allowing Remembering that you are connected right now to everyone in this training who has ever experienced embarrassment or shame. And when you feel that you have softened, that you have soothed, that you have allowed let go of this practice and return to focus on your body as a whole. Allowing yourself to feel whatever you feel to be exactly as you are in this moment. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes, and come back to the present moment. Thank you guys for doing another meditation. I hope you found the practice useful. It's a step towards honoring and accepting ourselves as we authentically are. No better and no worse. And I think it's a step towards changing our critical self-talk just a little bit. Remember when the sun rises, we can appreciate our light. And when the sun sets, we can have compassion for our darkness. After doing this meditation, I wanted to emphasize the interaction between self-compassion and critical self-talk. Self-compassion interventions are predicated on facing negative emotions with self-kindness rather than negative self-appraisals like self-criticism or shame, which are characteristic of maladaptive emotional regulation. Research suggests that accepting, tolerating, and modifying negative emotions are the most crucial emotional regulation strategies for maintaining and restoring mental health. Which I think is just an amazing, powerful fact. <laughs> I also want to note that when we talk about accepting our negative emotions, it does not mean resignations. Our feelings are not facts, but they often serve a purpose. If any of you have seen Inside Out, it's a fantastic movie, and this may be a bit of a spoiler, but this character, Sadness, is initially shunned by the other character, Joy, who she feels ruins things. But towards the end of the movie, Joy does what we just talked about being the healthiest method for working with emotions. Instead of avoiding or denying sadness, Joy accepts sadness for who she is, realizing that she is an important part of the main character's emotional life. Sadness is an important emotion and often a key to feeling happy or at peace is through the acknowledgement acceptance of sadness. I want to shift gears to another practice that not only helps us with our critical self-talk but is just really wonderful in general for self-compassion is loving kindness. It's the wish that all sentient beings may be happy. Remember that compassion was the wish that all sentient beings may be free from suffering. So it's a different there. And loving kindness can be done for ourselves, for a neutral party, for someone we love, or a difficult person. Today we are going to start with ourselves. Um, Our next exercise is that we are going to try to find our own personal loving kindness phrases And this one was the one where you will need a pen and paper. I apologize for that confusion earlier. You can type on your computer, write on your phone, pen and paper, whatever is easiest for you. But we're just going to focus on generating some loving kindness phrases together. Okay. So you're going to keep your eyes open or closed, but just when you write, open your eyes. But to start, we're going to put a hand over your heart or elsewhere that soothes your body and just breathe for a moment again. We're going to take a moment to allow our heart to open gently, becoming receptive. Receptive like a flower opens in the warm sun. And then ask yourself this question, allowing the answer to arise naturally within you. What do I need to hear from others? What words do I long to hear? Because as a person, I really need to hear words like this. If I could, what words would I like to have whispered into my ear every day for the rest of my life? Allow yourself to be vulnerable and open to this possibility. Listen, take a moment, write down what you hear. If you hear a lot of words, See if you can make these into short phrases, as a message to yourself. Let's take a minute or two just to do that. And as you're writing these words, you can write these as wishes for yourself. The words that we would like to hear from others are often qualities we would like to actualize in our lives. Lives. If I'm longing to hear, I am enough, it's likely means we wish to know that we are enough. That is why we need to hear these words over and over again. We can use these words to take a moment of space, to let them fill our sense of being. And when you've written some things down, try to think if you found a good phrase. Maybe it brings a sense of peace or gratitude when you say it in your mind. Maybe when you look at those words on the paper, you feel soothed. Your heart may rest just for a moment. And you may not find one today that has that impact but being open to the possibility later on. So, you can keep writing if there's a lot of things coming up for you, but I wanted to show some examples of phrases rewritten as wishes. So, I'm here for you, can become, may I feel safe and secure. I love you, can become, may I love myself just as I am. And I'm a good person, can become, may I know my own goodness. And these phrases of loving kindness are really like blessings. The goal is to cultivate good intentions We're not pretending that things are other than what they are. And just take a moment to review your wishes or statements of loving kindness. And if anyone would like to share them, I would love to hear any, but I know that it's a lot, so (laughs) I understand if you're not open to that. But um, I'm always, you know, very grateful for any of you that are happy to share. Well, um, either way, we're going to use these loving-kindness phrases um, with a loving-kindness meditation. And I know it's the last meditation. There won't be any more meditations, I promise. (laughs) People are inundated with meditations, but I hope that they're soothing and grounding for yourself. And I hope that these phrases can just bring you a little sense of peace or joy throughout your day when you're overwhelmed, just something to come back to, to ground yourself. Um, Yeah. So for our last practice of the day, let yourself be in a relaxed and comfortable position with your eyes closed. We're going to engage in the practice of cultivating positive emotions. In this case, loving kindness, which is the desire for someone to be happy, for yourself to be happy. It's not dependent on something. It's not conditional. It's just a natural opening of the heart to someone else or to yourself. Check into your body and notice how you're feeling right now. Letting whatever is here be here. Now let yourself bring to mind someone whom, the moment you think of them, you feel happy. See who you can bring to mind. Could be a relative, a close friend, a general sense that when you think of them, you feel happy. You can always choose a pet, a dog, or a cat, a creature it's fairly easy to feel love for. Let them come to mind. Have a sense of them being in front of you. You can feel them, see them. As you imagine them, notice how you're feeling inside. Maybe you feel some warmth. Or there's some heat to your face. A smile. A sense of expansiveness. This is loving kindness. This is a natural feeling that's accessible to all of us at any moment. So now having this loved one in front of you. Begin to wish them well. May you be safe and protected from danger. May you be happy and peaceful. May you be healthy and strong. May you have ease well-being. And as I say these words, you can also use the words you found in our earlier practice. Just having a sense of letting this loving kindness come from you and begin to touch this loved one reaching out. You might think of it in an image or have a sense of color or light or just a feeling of deep connection. words may continue to bring on more of this feeling. And I encourage you to say whatever feels meaningful for you. May you be free from stress. May you be free from all fear. As you're sending out these words, these feelings of loving-kindness. Notice how you're feeling. Check into yourself. Now imagine that this loved one turns around and begins to send it back to you. See if you can receive the loving-kindness Take it in. They're wishing you well. May you be happy, meaning you. May you be peaceful and at ease. May you have joy and well-being. May you be safe and protect it from all danger. Letting yourself take it in. Now, if you're not feeling anything at this point, it's not a problem. This is a practice that plants seeds. And if you're feeling something else, Other than loving kindness, check into that. What is it that I'm feeling? There may be something to learn here. Now, if it's possible, send loving kindness to yourself from yourself. Imagine it coming down your body from your heart. May you know your worth. May you be connected. May you love this life. May you be at peace. Checking into yourself, noticing how it feels to accept this loving kindness for yourself. Now expand your awareness one more time and imagine all of Los Angeles in front of you. Send warm wishes to all who reside here, who, like you, want to be happy. Just as I wish to, may you live with ease, happiness, and good health. May you be protected and free from danger. May you be happy and healthy. Taking a deep breath in and a deep breath out. repeating, just as I wish, may you live with ease, happiness, and good health. Remembering that this loving kindness connects us all. Holding that connection in our heart. And when you are ready, you can carry that connection with you. You can come back to it at any point in the day and send loving kindness. You can slowly open your eyes, perhaps a little stretch, Wiggle your toes. We will wrap up the presentation. Thank you guys for participating in all of these meditations. Um, I hope that that furthered a sense of connection to yourself, your loved ones, and all of us Angelinos right now. I want to, for the last bit of our presentation, focus on two other practices that also help cultivate positive emotions, gratitude, being the first. And I just appreciate this quote being that one key to knowing joy is to be easily pleased. And I found these daily quarantine questions on the Greater Good website through UC Berkeley, um, which I encourage you to explore. They, like UCLA, have a bunch of free meditations um, and resources as well for your mindfulness or self-compassion practice. But gratitude is just about acknowledging all that we have. Usually as humans, we're focused on what we don't have or what we need. But if we center ourselves around all the gifts, we have in our lives, even during the most strenuous of times. It helps us become mindful, it helps us become wise. Gratitude is described as a wisdom experience because you're acknowledging all the people and events that contribute to the good in our lives. And if you're comfortable, I'd love if you would type just one thing that you are grateful for today. I know that may seem corny, but I often use it to ground myself throughout my day is to remember the small gratitudes I have right now, Um, which one being a delicious cup of coffee I had today. (laughs) Um, And I try to remember five small things every day. Big things. Denise, I like my family. It's a great big thing. Erica, breath in my lungs. Mindy, having a job, 100%. Lisa, my health. Matt, a job. So many good things here. Having a home from Daisy to be safe in. Yes. Oh, you're grateful for the training. Thanks, Pamela. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Faith and family. So important. Yeah. No loss of income. That is such a blessing. Yeah. All these little things. Um, I got a good luck text from my mom, which I get before every training I do. And it doesn't matter how old I am. I love that. I'm very grateful for that. (laughs) So gratitude can be big and small. Um, and It just can really ground us, which is so needed right now. Uh, The other practice is savoring. And that's about experiencing pleasure, but being aware that something good is happening while it's happening. Um, Where social media kind of deters from that, we're so busy taking the photo that we don't really soak in the good that's happening. Um, But this is really about just cherishing the moments. Um, This is my 12-year-old dog, Zena taking her afternoon nap. And even though I see her all the time now, I savor moments like this. I rollerblade with her and she tries to chase after my partner's rollerblades And she never catches up because she's old and small and she runs sideways and it's very cute. And I just savor those moments because they just, the little things mean so much right now. The things we can still do with the people and pets and things that matter are just so important to savor. Um, So I really like to focus on making sure we take them in we let them linger, and then we let them go because, unfortunately, nothing can last forever. But it's all about savoring the moments we have with those that matter most to us, or even with just ourselves. And. I only have one slide that says self-compassion and self-care because I know in this field, there's so much literature about self-care, but I really just wanted to emphasize that self-compassion requires no specific supplies or rituals. It's just simply acknowledging the emotional pain in that moment, remembering the human experience of that pain, that common humanity, and then offering kindness to ourselves. And these three steps are actually listed on Kristin Neff's website as taking a self-compassion break, which is really where you say, suffering is a part of life, this is a moment of suffering, may I be kind to myself. And that's something we can do at any point of the day to ground ourselves that we can take through. And these are the three stages of self-compassion that Kristin Neff has listed. They are striving, disillusionment, and radical acceptance. With any new hobby or habit, we are striving in the beginning. We got this. But then when it doesn't work for an intense moment, we get disillusioned. We get frustrated. But Neff Um, she supports the notion that when we drop the idea of progress, progress begins, which mindfulness very much aligns with. We stop striving to get somewhere to make the pain go away. And rather than being attached to the outcome, we do it for its own sake. And then finally, we radically accept that we will never be without pain, There is never not going to be suffering in our lives, which is an extremely hard truth to accept. We may accept it one day and not the other. Radical acceptance is an ongoing journey, but just remember that what we resist persists. And finally, the goal of the practice is to become a compassionate mess. I love this quote because it's Totally achievable. (laughs) We're not trying to be something that we aren't. We're human. We're often struggling, uncertain, confused. We're still having those natural experiences. We're just being more compassionate towards ourselves through them. No matter how much we fall, how much pain we may encounter, how imperfect our lives or personalities may be, we can still be mindful of our suffering. Remember our common humanity and be kind to ourselves. And this is just a fun graphic that I thought was a nice way to summarize the three practices. And then I wanted to end with a final poll of which practice you are most likely to use from the training. I know we did a lot, (laughs) but I thought it'd be a good way to ground yourself to remember all that we've done here today and also to congratulate yourself for taking the time Um, A lot of these tools can be used with your clients as well, but I really wanted to focus on nurturing your own sense of self-compassion today, and I hope that this was helpful to do that. And I'll just take some time because I see that people are uh, submitting some responses. Okay. All right. Seems like most of you are going to start by working with critical self-talk, which is wonderful. Loving kindness isn't far behind. A self-compassion break. Some gratitude right up there with it. And then some savoring. Wonderful. Okay. Okay. These are references if anyone would like to read, (laughs) lots of articles or books, Um, resources. These are two books that I use for this training that are wonderful. And then these three links on the left, one of them is like a 42-page free from Canada self-compassion exercises. And then the Chris Germer website has free meditation scripts. Also... um, Positive psychology has some great self-compassion exercises as well. Um, And these slides will be posted on our website so you can access this at any time. And to end with another wonderful quote, I love quotes. We can still be angry after all these years. We can still be timid or jealous or full of feelings of unworthiness. The point is not to try to throw ourselves away and become something better It's about befriending who we already are. That's from Pima Chodron. And that is a picture of a sunset from a walk with my dog (laughs) in our Los Angeles area. Thanks, Jean. And I I just want to have, I want to repeat a quote that somebody shared with me. In the, in the chat and um, I think it's a, just such a nice way to um, also kind of end the training but uh, someone told me that despite all of your so, so-called failings you are a beautiful soul who deserves all the best this life has to offer so thank you for sharing that with me and I'm um, certainly um, feeling gratitude for, uh, for just all of the wonderful things you shared with us Jane. so thank you. Thanks David. Thank you guys all for taking the time to be here today.